Hello and welcome to the a special edition of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Eches Adoku. Today, I am very pleased to say we are joined by Mark Mann Bryans. Mark is a sports journalist for the Press Association, mainly covering Arsenal and England. He is joining us for this special episode reviewing Arsenal's dramatic transfer window, a window that culminated in the late deadline day signing of Thomas Party. So, Mark, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, chaps. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, I thought I'd start then, then, before we go into Arsenal, with a bit of background about yourself. So if you'd like to tell us about your career today, that'd be great, Mark. Yeah, no worries. Um, I studied uh, media and sports journalism at Huddersfield University. Um, graduated, oh, I don't really want to say how long ago it was now. <laughs> it was 2000. <laughs> um, I've been working for PA since tw- uh, late 2010, uh, covering Arsenal for the last five years. So yeah, it's um, it was interesting to see the end of the Wenger years and then and then the, the muddle and the, the issues we've had since. But yeah, it's enjoyable. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time to cover Arsenal from that perspective, obviously, with Wenger's reign coming to an end and having very young Berg and Arteta. So it's very much very interesting. I've seen your name pop up on a few publications. So can you tell us a bit more about PA Sports? Is, I mean, you can, you can go ahead and just, and just tell us, but I've seen your name pop up on a number of publications. I was thinking, is this guy just the busiest guy, <laughs> the busiest journalist? Uh, yeah, sadly, I don't get paid every time it pops up somewhere. Um, yeah, so uh, PA Media, we have, we have news, sports, showbiz, you know, we, we cover everything. Um, it's part of the sport wire. So we provide content to uh, websites, to local newspapers, to national newspapers, anyone that subscribes to our, our wire. Um, yeah, so that's why it pops up here, there and everywhere. So uh, the more I see it pop up, the more it means pe- people are happy with what, what I'm doing for my job. <laughs> Yeah, that explains a lot because I see I saw your name pop up in a few local um local papers and thinking I was thinking is that kind of like an outreach from from PA? Um and I take it then you are an Arsenal fan or not? I am not. Mm, Huddersfield fan? I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Good. One more get one more guess, mate. Sunderland? Former Manchester United and ticket holder. Ah, okay. In my younger ah. years. Hmm. Interesting. I, mean, I think their window and Arsenal's windows were the two that everyone really had their eyes on on Monday, weren't they? So. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Yeah, so um, good, good for the intro, Mark, and obviously glad to, to have you on. So moving on to Arsenal's transfer window, obviously we've spoken about it before and um, I haven't stopped smiling since uh, yesterday or two days ago the evening because obviously because of the party deal. So the question I kind of wanted to ask you is, where did Arsenal kind of want to strengthen this summer and kind of did they achieve it? So that there are a few signings they brought in, uh, which we'll get on to. Um, yeah, I think Mikel Arteta got in there. You know, he's he had a few knockabout signings in January. You know, we saw people like Cedric Suarez, Pablo Mari come in. They always felt like a bit like they were, with all due respect to those signings and those players, a little bit of papering over the cracks and what they and just what they could get their hands on at the time. I think the plan heading into this window, you know, we lost Raul Sanhidi, left the club, so that again, there's never a, a quiet day coming Arsenal, but they got pretty much what they wanted in terms of trying to fix the spine of that team, you know. Mikel Arteta's put his faith in Bernd Leno as his number one, as we know, but he's then brought in Gabriel Magalish from Lille, and he is, you know, he just looks like a powerhouse. He looks like the kind of defender they've been calling out for for years, you know. For non-Arsenal fans, having a bit of a joke at Arsenal's defence is, you know, but we might start running out of punchlines soon. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. And I think Thomas Partey was 
you know they've they've been after him for more than just this window. He's he's been a bit of a project, a long term project, stretching back even before Arteta joined the club, really. So, yeah, you know, I think they'll have been delighted to get it done. I know it went a bit to the wire, but we can go in a bit more in depth into that if you like as to why why I believe that to be the case. But yeah, you know, I think I think all in all they, they've they've had a great window. Yeah, so so kind of we'll, we'll go touch on we'll get to party last because that's the. That's the big finale, isn't it? But when we, I think earlier in the summer, we're looking at uh, when Willian joins around just after the FA Cup triumph. Um, was that an area or was he a player they particularly identified or was it more he was seen as an option for an area of the pitch they were looking to strengthen? So his name kind of cropped up a bit later. Yeah, I think, I think it's one of those things. You, most top clubs will know the contract situations of players at, at other top clubs and I think it became apparent that it was a bit of a willy won't you kind of situation with Willian signing on at Chelsea again, wasn't it? So yeah. Arsenal were across that. I think they gave him a, an attractive offer. They gave him, a, you know, a lengthy contract saying how old he is. But it's it's this mentality of they brought another winner into that dressing room, haven't they? You know, I I'm a <laughs> I, 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 don't, I loathe to say critic, but I'm yet to see the massive fuss about Nicola Pepe. I think, you know, he shows flashes. I thought he came on at the weekend and was great. He was he played well towards the end of last season. Has he justified that that price tag? Not in the slightest in my opinion. But Willian is just you know, he knows the league, he knows how to win trophies. He's very consistent. I think Mikel, you see the Saturday when they actually went on to win the game, Willian was playing more as a number ten. Whether he ends up playing a system that includes a number ten moving forward, I'm not quite sure. But it is just it, getting Willian in is, you know, it's almost, if you can afford it, a play like that, it is almost a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. I think, yeah, it, there was that issue over, it was a two-year, three-year thing, wasn't it? I think uh, Chelsea were offering two years and, you know, Arsenal came right in with the, the three-year deal, which some fans were a bit anxious about. But as you said, it has that winning mentality brought in it adds that experience that consistency which perhaps Pepe has lacked slightly uh, alongside the other options that they have wide if you look at maybe Reese Nelson and obviously Martinelli and Saka who are uh, are much younger um moving on to the to the next next one who you touched on earlier is Gabriel um who as an, I'm an Arsenal fan which I'm sure you know um, he's one of those players that I didn't really see Arsenal heavily linked with at the start. I think he was really close to joining Everton back in March time. And then obviously COVID hit and it went quite quiet. And then all of a sudden it went back up again and then Arsenal were lurking in the background. Uh, early indications have been he's, he's been a fantastic signing. Um, so what are your, your thoughts on him generally? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, he, you know, he, he might have been another one that was a name on the list almost. You know what I mean? I don't think he'd have been completely unknown to Arsenal. I think... He's a player they, they were, again, would have been tracking for a while. And then when you suddenly see that a deal is possible and affordable and amenable to all parties, you, you act on it. And I think, you know, there was apparently late interest for Manchester United and a few other places. But I think once those early early uh, links were made and, and they'd reached out and were in contact, Gabriel was always aiming to come to Arsenal. And, you know, he's, he's come in, he's a young guy, his English isn't great. But he's almost almost already a leader in that defence. Now, I, I know a lot of people aren't a fan of David Luiz. I think to have it's similar to Willian. I think it's good to have him around. I think on his day he can he can be great. But if you just look at Saturday when Arteta went back to a back four, Gabriel was was the boss of that of that back line. So to go into a team and to be happy to command that that area of the pitch, despite 
having a player next to you who's been there, seen it and done it all for good and bad, you know, I think <laughs> speak volumes. And he, he, he's, he's an absolute machine by the looks of things. You know, it's, it's not a mistake that they've gone out and looked at a player with his repertoire, you know, with his physicality and things like that and decided that's what they need. They love to play out from the back. Every team does really now. But you still need that absolute almost monster of a centre-half that's not going to be afraid to, to challenge these forwards that we've got in this league at the moment. You know, I completely agree. I think he's had a few challenges. So he had Mikel Antonio, which is, you know, a very physical test, which he came out and did quite well in. And then on Saturday, uh, on the weekend, he Sunday, sorry, he went against Oliver Burke, who is also a bit of a powerhouse uh, himself. And I think he's, hand, he's handled himself pretty well. Um, so yeah, he, he's been quite solid. Um, it's interesting as well because of the number of centre-backs Arsenal do have. Um, I think it's seven, seven or... I'm not going to go out and count, but it's quite a few. Um, more if you so, people like Rooney and, and Kolasinac, it gets up to about 10, I think. Yeah, it gets to a fair few. So it's interesting how they prioritise bringing him in regardless of the outgoings, which a uh, uh, centre-back uh, was non-existent apart from um, Marapanas. Um, but yeah, so moving on to, to the big finale, which is uh, my favourites, as everyone knows, uh, Thomas Party. Um, so we spoke about it before. Um, what, what, how did you... It seemed as if everyone was disappointed and felt like no one was going to come in. I think you were one of the very few that said there was still a bit of hope there. Um, so have, was it, were Arsenal always confident or was it like a late change that they realised that something could still be done there? It is a good question. I think without knowing the, the inner workings, it's hard to say they were confident. But the difference when you look at a, a party to a, to a Hossam or R, which I still can't properly pronounce, but... Um, <laughs> I think they knew exactly what they had to pay to get Thomas Party. They knew that they could negotiate for that whole window with Atletico and if push came to shove and, and they were, you know, making sure they didn't want to sell, they had an option to go there and pay that release clause. That's what they've had to do. They've probably paid more than they wanted in the current climate and, you know, much has been made about them making people redundant and things like that. So I'm sure they didn't want to pay the release clause, but... The reason it went down to the last day is probably because they knew that they could. Why not? Why show your hand before? I know you could argue they could have had him in for the first few games, but if you then can land him for fifteen, twenty million pounds less later in the window, then you you kind of have to chance your arm that that could happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very good point, and yeah, it brought a lot of excitement to to deadline day. It, it kind of talking about the players, you've you mentioned one of them, and and David Ray is another one is, you know, those are two players, Uwar and, and Ray, which they failed to bring in. Could you shed any more light as to potentially why they weren't able to be brought in or who they're meant to replace? So I know that Arsenal brought in Renarison uh, as a goalkeeper as well, but at the time it seemed as if uh, both were linked at coming at the same time and Uwar and Party. there was rumours about both of them coming in. Um, so I wonder if you had any take on that, on those two. Yeah, I think uh, I mean, Uwar related. I think it's just Leon. You know, there isn't that release clause there. Leon was strong in what they wanted for the player. And I also think Arsenal couldn't afford both him and Partey without clearing players out, which they really struggled to do. You know, they've got players on a lot of money there that don't play much football. You know, Socrates, I think, has he even played this season? I'm not sure. Hmm. And, you know, he's on roughly £100,000 a week. So why is a club suddenly going to say, I know, we'll take him on loan and, you know, we'll pay. It's just not going to happen, is it? So... They struggled to clear bodies out when I think they thought they could do a better job of getting rid of 
Torreira for a fee and Guendouzi for a fee and probably at the start of the window, El Nene for a fee. And, you know, they I know they got their 20 million from Martinez, which no matter what you think of the back end of last season, is a great bit of business for a goalkeeper that club did not really rate up until a year ago, probably less. So, yeah, I think that's what happened with Awar. I think they would have needed to make more sales to, to get it over the line. That's not to say they won't go back in the future. And I think the same applies to, to David Raya. I think I would be massively surprised if he's not linked with Arsenal again next summer, especially if Brentford don't come up. He's very highly rated, especially by Inaki Kana, who's the goalkeeping coach at Arsenal, who uh, who also selected Runnison. He's, he's known of Runnison for a long time. Little's known about Runnison, you know, he... He was second choice at Dijon when when he joined Arsenal. I think, I think from what I've heard internally, Arteta has made it clear that he wants to play one goalkeeper this season, which I think is why Martin, uh, sorry, not Martin, I think is why Martinez left. I think he realised the chances weren't going to be there. You know, you look at the League Cup side; Leno's played both games. Will Runnison get an, a chance in the Europa League? You'd imagine, hopefully, so in the early games because the last thing you want is a man who hasn't played any games, suddenly drafted in if Leno gets injured and his debut comes in the North London derby or, you know, <laughs> Man City or something like that. So I think Runnison will play, but I think he, he has very much been signed as a backup option. He doesn't have, Arteta doesn't have what you would say two first goalkeeper, first choice goalkeepers now like he had before. I think it's very much seen that Leno will play all of the games that are deemed necessary to win and get results in. And Runnison will be slowly drip-fed in to give him experience for if and when he needs it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, moving on to outgoings then. Uh, my, my first question was going to be, why have Arsenal struggled to move players on? You've touched on that quite extensively there. But one player I don't think we've mentioned <laughs> too often is Saliba. Um, and now I heard that Saliba, so obviously he came from um, St Etienne last season. He was meant to be loaned it was meant to be loaned. I, was, I think it was Project Restart. And was meant to be loaned back for when they had their cup final, which didn't materialise. And they were due to loan him back this window, but seemed to fall short due to an admin area. Do you think he'll end up out on loan? And if so, where do you think? Um, yeah, it's a it's a strange situation. It's also a very sad situation for for a young and, and talented footballer. You know, he was signed last year for twenty seven million pounds. He's a teenager. I think if you know, if if that had been this summer, I know as he'd say he would have probably stayed at the club. You look at Gabriel this year, the idea eventually you'd imagine would be to partner them both. But Gabriel's come in and managed to get straight into the side and hit the ground running. William Saliba's had issues with injuries last season in France. You know, the season was cut short because of the coronavirus. So he played, I think he made 17 appearances last year when Arsenal would have been hoping it would almost be three times that if possible. Mm. There was a bit of chewing and froing with Saint-Étienne about extending the loan so he could play in the cup final, but how he would train around that cup final. So he ended up missing that and having to come back yeah. to England. Um, I, I understand his mother has passed away recently as well, which, you know, he's a young guy in a, in a new country. So that, that must be horrible. Um, yeah. Then Sten Setien came back in for him. They've pointed the finger at Arsenal for why that loan didn't go over the line. Like I say, I think they said it was an admin error, which in this day and age is hard to believe. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, um, I tweeted out the other day and got, and, got, and got a story yesterday that they are now looking at the possibility of sending him out on loan to the championship. You know, you've got that window from Premier League to EFL is open until the 16th of October. And if they can find the right fit, which I think is key, you can't just send him to any club in the championship. 
you need a club that plays a little bit to the style that you want to play that's not going to expose him and almost damage his, his confidence if he's getting yeah. battered about every week and they're losing every week. So I think that is one that could happen. I think a lot of people will question how on earth this has happened, but you know, he might come, it might in three years time, he might be saying, Oh, do you remember when he went on loan to Norwich, for example, you know, Oh, who thought we thought it was the end of his career, but in three years he's, he's in the heart of that defense with Gabriel. So he's, he's a slow burner basically, I think. Yeah. And perhaps, a stint in England might be good for him and his development. It won't be the Premier League, seemingly, but having a stint in an English club in the EFL will at least introduce him to the style of football that does typically you do tend to get in England, away from some of the better sides. Exactly. Um, Brentford would obviously be, as you said, he's mentioned that his, um, his mother's passed away recently. He's just moved um, at a very young age. Perhaps someone like Brentford could be a good shout, given that it's quite proximity-wise, it's quite close. So that could be a good shout. Um, but as you're, you're, you're right in saying, start a play is so crucial for a loan deal. And Chelsea are very selective where their players go out on loan and it's for, it's for a certain reason. Um, and moving away from Saliba then to someone who's not been mentioned yet and has been in the press a lot for non-footballing reasons is Mesut Ozil. Um, what do you think they'll do with him? And or is there a chance they might reintegrate him? No. <laughs> um... <laughs> kind of expected that. Yeah, I can't. I can't see that happening. To be honest, Mikel Arteta get gets asked about it on a regular basis, and he's very happy to not talk about it. You know, we, we'd love to be a fly on the wall when those conversations taking place. I'm sure. Um, it's my understanding, Meza Ozil won't be named in their Europa League squad, which is a strange one because you'd think that would be a, a good opportunity to give him some games to, you know, get him back through that almost again. If you're going to end up needing to rely on him, then you want him to be fit and ready to play. But it really doesn't like he's just going to be cast aside. You know, whether that's... We we had a, a meeting with Edu uh, a few weeks ago and he said it's all about performance and training. Whether you can believe that, I think there might be more to it than that. You know, I, th- I, I think he rocked a few boats when he refused to take the pay cut with his other teammates. Mm. And I think long term, he's got no future future of that club whatsoever. And what's your take on the uh, Gunnosaurus scandal? And seemingly, <laughs> it seems like Ozil's doing this despite the club. <laughs> Could be wrong, I'm speculating. I was talking to a few of my colleagues about this yesterday. I think um, the Gunnosaurus one is, just, is an interesting one because uh, the guy who plays him uh, has been made redundant, but he had other roles at the club that were not ne- not necessary without the fans. So, you know, I can understand the club having to take that difficult decision. I, the idea was always that Gunnosaurus would be at games once it's up and running again, whether it's Jerry who's wearing the, the costume or someone else. But um, I think you're right. I think that's a bit tongue-in-cheek by Mesut to almost have a poke at the club. I saw he was the only player that wished Lucas Torreira, uh, Lucas Torreira well on his loan deal. Uh, sorry, Matteo Guendouzi on his loan deal, which is with someone that you know wasn't exactly um, flavour of the month at the club. So yeah, you do wonder if he's just stirring that pot a little bit and you know, he's got nothing else to do with his time at the moment, is he so on? <laughs> yeah, you often see footballers turn to social media for these sort of antics when things aren't going in their favour. So moving on to um, a player that's a lot closer to first team affairs at Arsenal in Alexander Lacazette. Um, so he's got two, left, two years left on his deal. What do you expect the future holds for him? Do you think he'd be sold next summer? And if so, who do you think could replace him? Uh it's a difficult one because you'd say in the normal world, yes. Um, a very respected colleague of mine, uh, James Olley, wrote a piece 
saying that Arsenal wanted £40 million for him, which no one's going to be paying that for him at this moment in time, are they? I don't think. Um, mm. He's a very good striker. I think Mikel Arteta's got him playing a different sort of game. He's happy to drop off and things now. That means he isn't going to score as many goals, but if you can add to the team and you've got someone like Aubameyang who's scoring all the goals, then, you know, the figures don't always back up what's happening on the pitch, do they? But I do think next summer they may look to move him on. I suppose it also ties in with how Eddie Nketiah develops as a, as a first-team striker, whether he can develop into that Premier League marksman that they would need to replace him. I don't really see the point in selling Lacazette to then have to go and buy a, a like-for-like replacement. So it might be a case of they try and raise the funds for other players, other areas of the pitch by selling someone like Lacazette and then putting faith in Nketiah or we might see Aubameyang move back through the window like we did at the weekend. Yeah, so, so we talk, we're talking about the strikers. Um, one question I have of an outgoing is someone that some Arsenal fans may know who I've followed quite closely is, is Falaran Balogun, who he's one of those guys, I, I don't watch the youth ball for Arsenal, but every time I see a clip of him, it, it's him with a mazy run and then finishing it coolly. And I'm, I'm aware he was linked to the move away to, to some high profile clubs, but he's remained. I think he's got one year left. So do Arsenal expect him to, to depart as well? Um, if you if you believe what's been said, then yes, I, I think he doesn't seem to have any intention to sign a new deal. That's not to say that he won't. You know, I think there's every chance that he might. But it does seem at the moment that at the moment it, he he will leave the club. Which again, like you say, is a great shame because he looks great when you see clips of him. Um, obviously, they lost Sam Greenwood to Leeds United recently as well, didn't they? So mm. they'll be keen not to keep letting these young players slip away, especially because the pathway to the first team at Arsenal. Seems to be a lot clearer than it is at a lot of other top clubs. It's a sore point, Sam Greenwood, for myself as a Sunderland fan. Pick, picked off, <laughs> sorry, about that. picked off from us, picked off by Arsenal for um, under the Triple P for about I don't know a few hundred thousand, sold for two million. <laughs> but well, that's it. I won't, I won't say any further on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about um, so we touched on Saliba going on loan. What about some of the other first team youth players? So I think Nelson's windows kind of gone in terms of going maybe potentially going on loan but this Smith Rowe I know he was on loan at Huddersfield uh the end of last year um Joe Willock potentially do you reckon any of those guys could could go on loan to EFL clubs or would they just stay with the first team squad it's a good point I think especially uh Smith Rowe and Reese Nelson I think they'd have much preferred Nelson to have gone on loan somewhere in the Premier League which obviously is too late now Smith Rowe more likely could could go back to the Championship again. I know he had a great year at Huddersfield in the side that was struggling. So I wouldn't put anything past there, especially if he's not going to get the chances at Arsenal. You know, you have to balance it out, don't you? Maybe maybe they might look to play him a bit in the Europa League this year and then he'll go out in January, you know, get get through the group stage of the Europa League where you can play a few of these younger players and then send him out again in January. Yeah, no, I think it'd be good for them. I'm quite concerned that, you know, you've got a few players in certain positions that aren't really going to get the game time. Obviously, Saliba is potentially one of those, Mithra, etc. Um, and it'd be even quite good to see them play, grow, develop, etc. And then come back, uh, raring to go next season. Um, so kind of, we've discussed the in, ins and outs of Arsenal and who's come in and Arteta, but I kind of wanted to focus a bit more uh, on the man himself. I think when he was hired at the time, it didn't raise eyebrows because he was heavily linked, but at the time, you know, the club was in a bad way. We had the Xhaka incident. 
we weren't winning. I think we had that, that streak of no wins in eight games. It was just a mess, really. And, you know, it takes a very specific type of character to lift that and to galvanize a club in such a way. So I kind of wanted to ask you a bit more about what you've kind of got from Arteta as an actual person. I agree. That's a great question. He is, um, he's great with the media in comparison to someone like Unai Emery. He, he doesn't always give away what he wants to give away, but, you know, he can, you can, he can have a bit of a giggle. He can have a bit of, a bit of time where he will give you information he wants to give you. But in terms of managing that team, I don't think, looking back now, there was a better choice, was there? I don't think any Arsenal fan would have wanted Jose Mourinho. He's gone to Spurs, you know, long-term, that well, for short-term, I should say, that might prove to be a stroke of genius. But you always felt Arsenal needed someone there that was going to, I know it's a cliche to say they understood the club, but to also be there for the next four or five, six years, build this team, get them back into the Champions League and, and craft a team in their own image. And that wasn't Unai Emery. I don't think it had been Jose Mourinho, but it, it very well could be Mikel Arteta. Yeah, no, I think a, a really good comparison actually for you is Carlo Ancelotti versus Mikel Arteta because I think at the time they they joined at very similar times and they were both obviously, well, Arteta was hired at City, but I think Ancelotti was at Napoli leaving and there's there's a big clash because you had the established Champions League winner potentially past his best versus the completely unproven Pep number two as it as it was as it was highlighted. Um and I think to be fair to Everton they've actually won all of their games. But um <laughs> I think <laughs> I was about to make a comment and realistic Everton are flying pretty high. But I think you're right. Arsenal did make a good choice with Arteta in that sense. Um what his pull is what really draws me. So his influence is said to be huge with the Abemiang deal, as well as the Saka deal, uh, as well as the Martinelli deal. I think Gary O'Driscoll, the club doctor, said he wanted to stay on because, you know, of Arteta. Do you get that kind of vibe from him, that he has this sort of a- attraction to him to pull everyone together? Absolutely. I think everyone, every single person, that could, well, like I'd say every single person, there will be some that haven't because they've been by the wayside a little bit but um, yeah nearly everyone there is bought into what he wants to do and bought into it in a big way that's why you can attract someone like Pierre and Kabamiang you know to, to sign a new deal when you're not in the Champions League when there's no you know there's no obvious guarantee that you're going to be in the Champions League so you need a pool of a manager and to be able to, to get that pool and to, and to get people to buy into what you're doing despite this being your first managerial job, I think just shows you that that is the, the making of the man, isn't it? He knows exactly what he wants and he can get people involved. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I, can, I completely agree with that. I was a bit disappointed with um, the departure of Freddie Lundberg. Uh, was that was that inevitable? Um, or was that kind of a, a thing of old versus new where he was there before Arteta and then, you know, Arteta kind of wants his own style? Yeah, I think that's it. I think Freddie did a job. He wasn't happy towards the end of that small small window where he was a manager, that he wasn't allowed to, to put a team in place. You can understand why, I suppose, because he wasn't going to be the, get the job full time. He then became, you know, he was a coach under Arteta, but you, you kind of felt he was always on the periphery of it. You know, Arteta brought in all his own men, the men he wanted to help craft this image. And, and Freddie Youngberg wasn't one of them. I also think he he had a little taste of management and, and wants a bit more now rather than being sidelined in, in a coaching role that 
you know, was was almost just just this position of being held at the club as a statesman more than actually getting involved in the day to day work. By the looks of it, mm. yeah, um, because I'm aware that this summer, aside from the signings of you know, uh, Thomas Partey, Gabriel, etc. Arsenal have also uh, brought in Andreas Georgeson, Miguel Molina and Carlos Cuesta. Uh, Andreas Georgeson, I'm not too sure if too many fans know, but is a particular interest to me because he's a set-piece coach. Um, now, that obviously is music to my ears because sometimes in the past we've been susceptible to set-pieces and I think uh, that would be... Um, somewhere that something that Ateta's quite highlighted but do you have any more information on the other two that have come into the club and what their roles kind of are well, it's a strange one actually because the, the club are really reticent to, to, to explain their, their positions you know it was easier with guys coming in from other clubs where they did similar roles but even Mikel himself has kept his cards very close to his chest about his coaching team and what each of their individual responsibilities are you know I th- it's a strange one because you think, well, you know, no one's going to copy that plan or or anything like that. But no, so to be honest, I, I don't have much information because not much information has been put out there. Yeah, it's like one of Arteta's uh, best kept secrets. To kind of to, to bring Arteta to a close, maybe it's because I'm in, I'm in dreamland at the moment with how badly things could have gone and how positive that they've gone in the end or so far, you know, culminating the FA Cup win. How special do you think Mikhail Arteta actually is? So is this a case of someone that potentially, you know, could outgrow Arsenal and go even further in his career to maybe other clubs? Or, you know, will he get found out as time goes on? Is he is he the real deal is the question I'm asking you. It's a great question that, you know, maybe we should clip this bit up for, for in a few years' time. Um, I think at the moment he was the right man at the right time because that club was you know, in a, in a state of almost disrepair, wasn't it? But he came in, knew the club, knew what he wanted to do, Was almost breathed fresh air into it, didn't he? Probably because he didn't have the baggage of other jobs as well. Winning the cup was great. The league performances, you know, were a bit hit and miss. Eighth position's not good enough, is it? And the Europa League exit to Olympiacos was very much brushed over once they won the FA Cup. So I think he needs a year, he needs a good season this year. No necessarily not needing a trophy. I think it's hard to say you should win a trophy every year at the moment when you look at the opposition that's around there. But he will want to be a lot closer to the top four. He'll want to have a, a better run in Europe. And he doesn't need to, you know, I don't think he's going to lose his job if that doesn't happen this year. But he personally wants to see progression, especially having pushed so hard to get the players that, that he wanted to bring it full circle to get the players that he wanted during the transfer window. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think you raised a really good point. You know, the Olympiacos game, I was there, um, so um, I deleted it from my deleted it from my memory, and then I, it's come flashing back. So, yeah, I think that there were some disappointing moments. Um, you, you mentioned he wouldn't lose his job if, if he didn't finish too well this season, but I guess the aim would be Champions League football. We're aware of that. They have made some significant signings for players that scream win now or succeed now, you know, in signing a Bemiang, Willian, Thomas Partey. If they didn't get Champions League football this year, uh, w- would it be seen as a disappointment collectively? I don't think he'd lose his job, but would that be seen as a general disappointment? Uh, yes, I think so. Again, it, whether that's right or wrong, I think it would be seen. I think it's still seen every year as a disappointment, yeah. even though that, that top. That top band of clubs keeps growing in numbers every club will be disappointed if they don't finish in it Manchester United would be disappointed you know they have been in the past Arsenal would be Tottenham would be 
Chelsea would be, you know, you know, it's a bit different, I suppose, for your Leicesters and your Everton's who would love to be in the top four and it would be a bonus. But, you know, there's there's six or seven clubs into four it just doesn't go, does it? No, absolutely not. And as you said, that that kind of pool of teams that you consider now to be mainstays in the Premier League or at least the elite in the Premier League is seemingly growing. So even the sides like Wolves and Leicester vying for those Europa League spots and we saw Leicester vying for a Champions League spot last season. As you said, there's four spots and now you feasibly have, if you include Leicester, you've feasibly got seven teams that are going for those positions. And with Chelsea and Spurs actually also engaging in squad building exercises and to a good degree. I mean, Spurs have, have now got quite a, a good squad behind them and don't get carried away with recent results as much as we don't get carried away with one year under Arteta. But it's just becoming so tight. Like It's so tight to get that fourth spot and winning the Europa League could actually be the only... Um, solution to that if the, the league becomes untenable. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's spot on. You know, lest we forget Arsenal won't be in Europe at all this year unless they'd won the FA Cup. You know, and that was a great day and it, it's a great competition that they've been successful in for, for many, many years. So you can't diminish the, the, the fact they even lifted the cup. But you can, I think, look at the fact that they... <laughs> That they would have missed out on Europe if they hadn't won it. So what it means from that perspective as well is equally as as equally important as as just finishing in the league. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's kind of come to the the end of the discussion. Really, you know, you touched on some great points, Mark, uh, about Mikel Arteta, Arsenal, Thomas Party. I've tried my best not to celebrate too much about that because <laughs> the, there's a big coup as well, but more so uh, about Arteta in general. So thank you for your insight and thank you for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Man. No worries at all. I'll speak to you soon, hopefully. 